We're in a series on marriage uh, about covenant contract. Oh, I wanted to, probably didn't want me to, but James, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> James and Betty Robinson, most of you probably watch Life Today, and James was my first spiritual mentor and a very good one. You're eating some fruit that he planted in my life a long time ago. And uh, so we love you all and appreciate you very much and appreciate what you do. Don't you appreciate what James and Betty do? do a tremendous work all over the world. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've been in a series on marriage, and we talked last week about covenant or contract. Do I have a covenant marriage or do I have a contract? And last week was part one. So if you weren't here, you need to get a copy of last week, or you can go to the website and listen to the message right there on the website. You click on it, it'll play right there on your computer. So you need to hear last week because we talked about the difference between a covenant and a contract. And I want to just remind you for a moment, in a contract, we limit our responsibilities and we protect our rights. Now listen to me. The reason we draw up a contract is to limit our responsibility and to protect our rights. But a covenant is just the opposite. In a covenant, we give up our rights and we assume our responsibility. See, we are in a covenant with God. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth and gave up his rights as God and assumed my responsibility as man and fulfilled all of my responsibility so that I could have a relationship with God. And now when I come into that covenant with God, I lay down my rights and I assume responsibility to allow the Lord to live His life through me. It's the same in a marriage covenant. The word covenant means to cut. That's all it means, simply to cut. And Jesus Christ was cut so that we could have covenant with God. But in the same way, God cut Adam. And, and, and God did not form Eve out of the dust of the ground. Do you remember this story? God could have reached down and picked up a handful of dirt, just like he did with Adam, and formed Eve. But he didn't do it. He cut Adam and took Eve out. Because God wanted everyone to know marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a cutting. It is a sacrifice. And what we do in marriage is say, I'm willing to sacrifice first. I'm willing to be the Redeemer. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth and said, I'm willing to suffer first. I'm willing to sacrifice first. I'm willing to be cut first so that you can enter into a covenant. And in the same way, if both partners in a marriage say, I'm willing to sacrifice first. I'm willing to suffer first. I'm willing to be cut first. Then that's the way marriage works. It only works as a covenant. And so last week we talked about three rights that we have to give up. And this week we're going to talk about three responsibilities we have to pick up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we came out of Genesis 2. And I want to just remind you again, we talked about the three rights that we have to give up. And this week we're going to talk about three responsibilities that we have to pick up. Now, Ephesians 5 is the greatest chapter on marriage in the Bible. Has more instruction about marriage probably than any other chapter in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. But it also shows us that marriage is a covenant. And it shows us that the relationship between a husband and wife is similar to the relationship between Christ and His church. It's a covenant. Ephesians chapter 5. Everyone there? Look at verse 21. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another in the fear of God. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might cleanse, sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. By the way, that's a responsibility of husbands, to sanctify and to cleanse our wives by washing them with the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is also the responsibility of the husband, to nourish and cherish this tender plant that God has given him as a wife. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. This is where we got the three rights that we have to give up last week from this verse. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Here's the summary of all of it. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, three responsibilities I have to pick up if I'm going to have a covenant marriage. Number one is the responsibility of love. Love. Now let me explain to you what that means. Here's the definition and look closely at it. I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Now we're going to read it again because I don't want you to miss that. This is extremely important. These could be marriage vows. The three rights that we have to give up that I gave you last week and the three responsibilities that we have to pick up could be marriage vows. So look at this vow. I assume the responsibility. I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Now, I want to say something that I said last week again. First of all, to the singles. If you're single, if you're widowed, or if you're divorced. Don't tune me out. These principles are just as important for you to understand. Don't tune me out and don't hear condemnation. That's the enemy. If you hear condemnation, it's not the Lord talking to you, it's the enemy. So if you're single, don't hear condemnation in this series. Listen to these principles, you need them. Second thing I want to say is to the married people here. Don't listen to these messages for your spouse. Don't listen and say, "Mm -mm, that's what I've been talking about. That's exactly what he said. That's what I've been talking about. Listen for yourself. You can't change your marriage, but you can change yourself. And God can change your marriage. God's the only one that can heal marriages. But you can change yourself. So I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or any word that falls below that standard. That's my responsibility. That is your responsibility. That was, that's what God did. God chose to love us 
before. God chose to love us before we loved Him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His love toward us in this way, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the responsibility of each spouse in the marriage. I will love you according to the standard of Christ's love. I will love you first. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. Love can never be determined upon performance. You cannot say, I'll love you if you keep the house clean. I'll love you if you pay the bills. You cannot say, I love you if, because God doesn't love us if. God loves us unconditionally. A covenant is unconditional, irrevocable, and unbreakable. And let me just tell you something. Even if you break it, God is still committed to you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And we've broken it many times. And yet He's still committed to us. That's what marriage is all about. No matter how you're feeling, no matter how you're acting, don't ever say, listen to me, don't ever say, if my spouse ever did this, I'd leave. Don't ever say that. You know why? Because this is what the enemy does. The enemy says, thank you. Thank you very much for telling me the exact point of attack that I need to attack your marriage. Thank you for giving me a strategy. And let me tell you what else you do. You make a vow. If we want to see our marriages healed, one of the first things we can do is break vows that we've made in anger and repent to our spouse. If you've ever said, if it wasn't for the kids, I'd be out of here, you need to repent for that. You need to say to your spouse, I am so sorry that I said that because I said it in anger and I don't mean it. And I ask you to forgive me. See, we are bound, Proverbs says, you're, you're snared by the words of your mouth. We say things like this and it causes damage to our marriage. Don't ever say, if, if, you, if they ever did this, because that's exactly the place where the enemy will take. Your attitude cannot be, if you do everything perfect, I'll give it a shot. That's not covenant. Your attitude has to be, I will assume my responsibility regardless of how you act. I don't care how you're feeling. I don't care what your hormones are doing. And I don't care who your mama is or if you remind me of her. <laughs> I will still love you regardless of how you act. You get up feeling bad and you feel terrible on it and you get up and you're not responding right, I'll still respond right. See, stop making excuses. Love means I will assume the responsibility for this. See, in marriage counseling, you know what we get? We get justification. That's what we get. See, this is what I said. I will never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Now, I'm not saying that we'll never fall to a lower standard than Christ's love. I'm saying we don't justify it when we do. It's wrong. And that's what we get in marriage counseling. We get justification. We went, well, wait, wait, wait just a minute, preacher. Just, just wait a minute. Let me tell you what she did. No, 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 let me tell you what she did. I know, I know what she's saying is true. I know, I know I did some of that. But let me tell you what she did before I hung her over the balcony by her ankles. You just, just wait a minute. Just, just wait. Let me tell you what I, what she did. And then she'll say, no, just, let me tell you what he did before I broke all his fishing rods. Let me just tell you what he did. Let me just tell you what he did. You cannot justify your behavior in a marriage. You're wrong. If you behave wrongly, you're wrong. And it does not matter their behavior. Your response is, I am going to love you no matter what. Listen, nothing justifies an unloving husband. And nothing justifies a dishonoring wife. 
Let me say that again. Nothing justifies an unloving husband and nothing justifies a dishonoring wife. If you have a bad marriage, put, put medicine on it. A loving husband can heal a hurting wife. And an honoring wife can heal an insensitive husband. Begin to put marriage on it. Begin to plant medicine. Begin to plant good seeds. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a truth that many of you probably never heard, heard or understood. But listen carefully to me. If you're married, you may be eating a crop that you didn't plant. Listen carefully to me. You are probably eating fruit that her parents planted in her. You are eating fruit that his friends planted in him. You're eating fruit of abuse. You're eating fruit of iniquity. You're eating fruit of hurts and fears and rejections. But what do you do? Start planting good seed. Start putting love into that person. Start putting acceptance into that person. Start putting kindness into that person. And you'll get a good crop. Eventually that old crop will die and a good crop will come up. Now, let me tell you something else. Some of you are eating seeds that you've planted. Bad fruit. But here's the question. Are you going to keep planting bad fruit? Are you going to keep planting good seeds? Will you stop planting bad seeds and start planting good seeds? Years ago, by God's grace, my wife and I began to plant good seeds in each other. We began to get some teaching in this area. And we knew we loved each other. And we began to learn about how words could hurt. And how words could do so much damage. And we began to plant good seeds. She planted good seeds in me. I planted good seeds in her. Listen to me. And now, I wake up every morning to an honoring wife. She wakes up to a loving husband. And it's heaven. Our marriage is now heaven. Because of God's grace. And because we've now planted good seeds. You've got, we've got to change the way we're, we're doing business with each other. We've got to change the way we speak to each other. If you're waiting for the other person to change, you're both going to fossilize. This is what we get in marriage counseling. We're sitting across the desk from two fossils. Two people that don't want to change. And they've gone so long... They're like, I'm not, I'm not changing until he changes. I'm not changing until she changes. you got a problem. Wouldn't it be something if God said, I'm not changing until they change? God said, no. I'll go first. I'll die first. I'll suffer first to redeem them. That's what marriage is about. That's the first responsibility. I take the responsibility to fulfill my biblical role in this marriage no matter what you do. Here's the second responsibility. Honor. Honor. Listen to the definition. I assume the responsibility to honor you and to do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential and God's perfect will for your life. And let me say it again. Look at it carefully. I assume the responsibility to honor you and to do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential and God's perfect will for your life. Listen to me. Debbie is in my life to honor me and to help me achieve my highest potential. But I am in her life to honor her and help her achieve her highest potential. I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to achieve your highest potential. Even if you're going to become a rocket scientist one day, I want to help you do it. 
I'm in your life to help you. I'm in your life to honor you. I'm in your life to serve you. Do you realize that this is what is wrong in America right now? There is a, 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 an undercurrent in America right now that you don't need to be married to reach your potential. God designed for a man to reach his highest potential with an honoring woman. And God designed for a woman to reach her highest potential with an honoring man. God designed it that way. I, I don't agree with the spirit of the women's organizations. But I agree with most of their issues. Women have been treated terrible by men for centuries. Terrible. They do the same job, don't get the same pay. It's wrong. It's wrong. But listen to me, it's not going to be healed by a bunch of arrogant, loudmouthed women running around. It's going to be healed by some loving, kind servants of men who will lay down their lives to serve those women. If men would say, I'm in your life, baby, to help you, I'm in your life to serve you and to love you and to honor you, and I'm going to help you reach your highest potential. The scar in the female soul would be healed immediately if men would begin to act like Christ and love like Christ does. That's what we've got to understand. If there's an honor there that we don't seem to understand. This is why mothers are saying today, you get an education because you can't trust men. And there's nothing wrong with a woman getting an education. Nothing wrong at all. But there's something wrong when we say it's out of bitterness. You can't trust them, and the problem is you can't. That's the problem, because God needs to do a work in us. See, one day God is going to ask me, what did you do with the most precious gift I ever gave you? And I'm going to say the most precious gift you ever gave me is Debbie. And I became your best friend to see her reach her highest potential. Or I'm going to hang my head in shame and say I used her. And I've used her. And I held her down. I'm in her life to help her and to minister to her and to honor her. And she is in my life to help me. See, women, there's no way for me to explain to you, though, how much honor means to a man. There's no way. Just like there's no way. I'm going to preach next week on the four most important needs of a woman and the next week the four most important needs of a man. And I'm, I'm going to try to tell him, ladies, your four most important needs, all right? I'm, I'm going to try to help you. But there's no way for a woman probably to ever understand how important honor is to a man. It is his greatest need. Just like it's difficult for men to understand how important affection and security and communication is to a woman. It's very important. It's very hard for us to understand. Ladies, men cannot get there without you. I'm telling you. They cannot get there. What do you see on the sidelines of every men's sporting event? Cheerleaders. Men cannot do well without a woman saying, Go! 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 And I, there aren't any women on the, there aren't any cheerleaders at women's sporting events. Never seen a cheerleader. Go, Sally, go! No! They're on the sidelines of men's sporting events. You go to the park and you know what you'll see? You'll see men playing basketball, women sitting on the bench talking, and the children playing on the park, on the, on the fun things, right? And what will a man do? He'll make a good shot. Do you see that? He looks right up. Do you see that? And it doesn't matter if you start now. Yes. <laughs> that was good. You jumped real high. You know, you watch him. He jumped real high. Did you hear that? Jumped real high. 
because I jumped real high. That's the way men are. Just every now and then, just look at him. Doing good, buddy. Doing good. See, men need praise. Hear me, when a man does something, he will come to you and tell you what he's done. Is that right? A man cannot wash his plate without telling you. Did you say I washed my plate? Put my plate in the sink. He's got to come and tell you what he did. Is that right? Because Why? Because he needs praise. Listen to me, ladies. It, it's, it's men just like dogs. I'm telling you. They're like dogs. And if you will praise them, you can get anything out of them if you'll just praise them. Not nag them, just praise them. Listen, when a man comes to you and says, you see what you, listen, you just say, him a good boy. Yes, him a good boy. Him picked up him dirty gloves. You're a good boy. You're a good boy. You know, just scratch, you need scratching right here watching this. You just get all excited. <laughs> to him a good boy. Listen, listen to me. What you see, what you see on us, I look today. Look, she did this to me. She trained me. She's trained. Just listen to me. You can train a man just like you train a dog. I'm telling you, you praise him, you give him a treat every now and then. You can teach a dog tricks. You can teach him, go get the car, go get the car. You go get the car. You can teach him to fetch. You can teach him to stay. You ever, you ever see a man sitting outside of a, a store holding a purse? <laughs> He's on a stay command. See? Stay. 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 And, then, and the man, you know, she'll walk off. The man will start to fall. She'll turn around. No, stay. Stay. And you'll just stay right there on that purse. Ladies, listen. Here's the lie of the enemy. I could honor her husband. I could honor a man like that. I could, I could honor. No, no. Listen. If you see a man you think you could honor, it's because his wife honored him and made him the kind, thoughtful man that he is. Men don't come from the factory this way. They have to be trained by a woman. I used to be a great caveman before Debbie. I'm telling you. I used to, when I got down, my suit got down the bottom, just like that. Now I send my spoon out to sea. She, she has trained me now. And if you say, you know, I could honor him. He loves her. He submit, He serves her. He, I, I could honor him. No, no. She made me this way. Listen to me. You, look at this scripture, 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6. Just look at it on the PowerPoint. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Now watch this. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and not afraid with terror. Now, what did Sarah call Abraham? Lord. You say, well, I could, I could have honored Abraham. No, no, you couldn't. Abraham was a scoundrel. Listen, Abraham lied about his wife, and she almost went to bed with another man twice. He gave his wife to another man, and he lied. 
Now listen to me. Sarah made the choice to call him Lord instead of liar. She could have called him liar. She could have went around and said, you know what my husband did? You know what he did when we went to Egypt? You know what he did? But instead she honored him. And she made Abraham the father of many nations. Honor is important. You don't understand. Men gravitate to the place they're most honored. And they run from the place they're not honored. That's why he wants to go play golf so much. Listen to me. Because at least on the golf course he'll hear the words, good shot, Bill. He'll hear a little praise and a little honor. He doesn't want to stay around the house. Because he runs from where he's not honored. And he runs to where he is honored. If your husband does ten things wrong and ten things right, focus on the ten things right he does. Spend 95% of your time on the ten things right and 5% of your time on the ten things wrong. And you'll help him. You can praise him in his success, but you can't nag him into it. Here's the third thing, submission. I assume, look at the definition, I assume the responsibility to serve you by first submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by surrendering to His Word as the standard for my life and our marriage and our family. I look at it again. I assume the responsibility, third responsibility I have to assume. I assume the responsibility to serve you by first submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by surrendering to His Word as the standard for my life and our marriage and our family. See, I started a moment ago with Ephesians 5.21 instead of 22. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Marriage only works when both partners are submitted to the Lord, to each other and to the Lord. When you have an argument, what settles it? Listen to me. When you have an argument, what settles it? This is what settles it. In marriage counseling, we are talking to people not submitted to the Word of God most of the time. Sometimes we, we, it, it's, it's not that way. Most of the time, we're talking to people not submitting to the Word because we say, well, look what the Bible says. The Bible says you're, you're supposed to do this. And you can just see their countenance get hard. See, if both of you are submitted to the Word of God, that's a, do you know, do you realize why we have so very few marriage reconciliations in America? Because we have no absolutes. See, in order to have a reconciliation, you have to have an authority. You have to have a final authority. You have to have an absolute. And if we say, well, there's just no absolutes, you can just do anything you want, then that's why when we're in marriage counseling, all we got are two wheels fighting against each other, and the strongest one wins. And by the way, when the strong one continues to win and win and win and dominate, eventually the other one's not going to take it anymore. So it's not one wheel dominating another wheel. It's two wheels being submitted to the Lordship of Christ and to the authority of God's Word. That's the only way marriage is going to work because we say, I'm going to love you the way Christ loves the church, period. And I'm going to honor you the way I'm supposed to honor you, period. You cannot have buts in marriage. In other words, you can't have, well, I know I'm supposed to love her as Christ loves the church, but. Well, I know I'm supposed to honor him and submit to him as unto the Lord, but. It will never, ever work. Marriage only works as a covenant. And you are responsible for your actions and your reactions. Listen carefully to me. You're not responsible for your spouse's actions. You're responsible for your actions and you're responsible for your reactions. What happens? De Debbie's greatest woman in the world. What happens though if she gets up one morning and she's tired and she responds 
in a negative way. How do I respond? Well, let me just tell you something. See, we're in trouble. But if she responds this way and I say, I I'm so sorry. I I'm, I'm not being sensitive to your needs right now. What can I do to help you? You know what she'll do? She'll say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I'm just tired. Just had a tough day with the kids. See, I assume my responsibility no matter what you do. Now, here's my question for you. What if your marriage looks more like a contract than a covenant? What do you do? Now listen to me. First thing, don't feel bad about it because that's the way our marriage used to look. Listen to me. Don't don't say, well, I just I wish well I wish I had a covenant, but I got a contract. Don't and then just give up. Our marriage used to look that way. I told you last week Debbie was very insecure and I was very insensitive. We had a difficult marriage. We have a great marriage now, by God's grace. So what if your marriage looks more like a contract than a covenant? Here's the first thing you need to do. Repent. And let me tell you how easy it is to repent. The word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind. I remember in Bible school when I learned that, it said change mind. I, I thought that's not right. Repentance means to change your heart, not change your mind. Repentance means change your heart. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, you can't change your heart. Only I can change your heart. But you can change your mind. And through this marriage series that we're going through, you can begin to change your mind about the way you're going to act in your home. And you can say, I'm not going to act that way anymore. I'm going to follow God's Word. I'm going to start doing what God wants me to do. And when you change your mind, repent. God can change your heart. And here's the second thing. You need to repent and you need to ask for forgiveness. You may need to go to your spouse and say, Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? You cannot imagine how much healing medicine I've put on our marriage over the years as I've gone to Debbie when I've blown it and said, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're talking about marriage today. And we're talking about that marriage only works as a covenant. But I'd like to tell you something, which with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and the reason I'm asking you to do this is just so you can have a moment alone with God. Marriage only works when Jesus is Lord. You can try all the principles and you can read all the books. But if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then Satan is, and Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there may be some men here today, or some ladies here today, that you'd say, you know, I'm, I grew up in church, I know about God, but to be honest with you, I'm not walking with God right now. You don't have to leave today. You don't have to leave the way you came in. It just takes you from your heart saying, God, I want you to take over. And I, and no one's looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you. No one's looking around. And I'm not going to come to you or embarrass you in any way. But I'm wondering how many of you have said it just, just to me. Robert, I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. I know all that. But I'm, to be honest, I'm really not walking with God. 
and I want you to pray for me. Would you just put your hand up where I can see it and put it right back down? Just put it up where I can see it and put it right back down. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm just not walking where I need to be with God. God bless you. If you raise your hand, if you're not right with God, you need to give Him control of your life. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you mean business from your heart, heart, God will change your life today. Just pray this from your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. And I give you control of my life. Jesus' name, I pray that you would cause us, that you would help us to be the husbands, to be the wives, to be the mothers, to be the fathers, to be the spouses that you intended us to be. And God, we continue to pray that you will heal marriages and families in our area. And that you will heal marriages and families in America. God, we ask you, start with us. In Jesus' name.